This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Hello, everybody. Great to welcome you to the show. I have to say, after watching the debate last night between Vice President Pence and Senator Kamala Harris that I think Mike Pence actually would become a great debate moderator if he ever decides to retire from politics because he asked harder questions of Kamala than the moderator actually did. And I was really glad to see him get it in there. Quick analysis, just a very quick summary in case you missed the debate last night. I'm glad there is only one debate between the vice presidential candidates because, frankly, I I can't sit through an hour and a half of Kamala Harris again. I just can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I cannot deal with it. Mike Pence had a wonderful demeanor. That was one of the biggest takeaways. He had a very, very classy demeanor the entire time. And in fact, I think he did a much better job with the demeanor portion of the debate than the president did in the first presidential debate. And honestly, when I go back to the presidential debate, I I think the President Trump made some very, very great points. And we already went through all of that. But Kamala Harris, by contrast, came across as mean at times. She came across snarky. She came across with that laugh that she has when she's nervous or she just doesn't like what you're saying. And I think the voters really saw that. And I think when you see some of the post-debate polls that were done, a lot of undecided people said, well, we really liked Mike Pence and the way that he performed better during that debate. But there's a lot of content here to get through. So I'm going to dive into some of these cuts that we've pulled for you so you can listen to a little bit of what went on last night. First, let's listen to Vice President Pence talk about the issue of taxes. Now, what you need to know here is that Kamala Harris has said Joe Biden is going to, on day one, lift the tax cuts. And we already know that $4 trillion in taxes are on on the line here with these people if they get elected. So this was what Vice President Pence had to say on the issue of Trump and taxes. This is cut one. When President Trump and I took office, America had gone through the slowest economic recovery since the Great Depression. It's when Joe Biden was vice president, they tried to tax and spend and regulate and bail our way back to a growing economy. President Trump cut taxes across the board. Despite what uh, Senator Harris says, The average American family of four had $2,000 in savings in taxes. And with the rise in wages that occurred, most predominantly for blue-collar, hardworking Americans, the average household income for a family of four increased by $4,000 following President Trump's tax cuts. But America, you just heard Senator Harris tell you, on day one, Joe Biden's going to raise your taxes. It's really remarkable to think, Susan. I mean, right after... A time where we're going through a pandemic that lost 22 million jobs at the height. We've already added back 11.6 million jobs because we had a president who cut taxes, rolled back regulation, unleashed American energy, fought for free and fair trade, and secured $4 trillion from the Congress of the United States to give direct payments to families, save 50 million jobs through the Paycheck Protection Program. 
We literally have spared no expense to help the American people and the American worker through this. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want to raise taxes. They want to bury our economy under a $2 trillion Green New Deal, which you were one of the original co-sponsors of in the United States Senate. Now, this is interesting because they do want to raise taxes by $4 trillion over 10 years. This, this is not the time to be raising taxes. Not that I ever think it's time to raise taxes. I think the American people need incredible relief from taxes across the board. But, you know, we need to see this for what it is. And if she's talking about the economy being in shambles, but at the same time saying I want to raise $4 trillion in taxes, I don't know if people are really going to go for that. Now, on the issue of China, this was quite interesting because the people were showing on social media that when Mike Pence was giving his take on China and the relationship that the United States has fundamentally with the nation of China, China cut the feed and they only turned it back on when Senator Harris was talking. But this is the moment, in case you were watching TV in China and missed it, this is what the vice president said. Cut to. China is to blame for the coronavirus. And President Trump is not happy about it. He's made that very clear, made it clear again today. China and the World Health Organization did not play straight with the American people. They did not let our personnel into China to get information on the coronavirus until the middle of February. Fortunately, President Trump, in dealing with China from the outset of this administration, standing up to China that had been taking advantage of America for decades in the wake of Joe Biden's cheerleading for China, President Trump made that decision before the end of January to suspend all travel from China. And again, the American people deserve to know Joe Biden opposed President Trump's decision to suspend all travel from China. He said it was hysterical. He said it Thank was you, xenophobic. Vice President Pence. But President Trump Vice has President stood Pence, up to China. Up. We're going to continue to stand strong. Thank you, Vice President Pence. We want to improve the relationship, but we're going to level the playing field and we're going to hold Vice China accountable for what they did to America with the coronavirus. Well, this is important, and it was interesting to note that Senator Harris had referred to the coronavirus response of the Trump administration as the greatest failure of any administration in history. Now, that's kind of ironic considering the declassified Brennan notes talking about President Obama having been briefed on the situation regarding Hillary Clinton and the Russia plan to get Trump. That, that might have been a good topic for a debate, but it didn't come up. At least it didn't come up at the hands of the moderator. Now, let's move on here because another significant portion of this debate centered on the issue of the Supreme Court. This is cut three. Now, with regard to the Supreme Court of the United States, let me say President Trump and I could not be more enthusiastic about the opportunity to see Judge Amy Coney Barrett become Justice Amy Coney Barrett. She's a brilliant woman and um, she will bring a lifetime of experience and a sizable American family to the Supreme Court of the United States. And our hope is in the hearing next week, unlike Justice Kavanaugh received with treatment from you and others, we hope she gets a fair hearing. And we particularly hope that we don't see the kind of attacks on her Christian faith that we saw before. I mean, the Democrat chairman of the Judiciary Committee before, when, when Judge Barrett was being confirmed for the Court of Appeals, expressed concern that the dogma of her faith lived loudly in her. Dick Durbin of Illinois said that it was a concern. Uh, Senator, I know one of our judicial nominees, you actually attacked because they were a member of the Catholic Knights of Columbus. 
just because the Knights of Columbus holds pro-life views and thank you, views. thank you, Vice President Pence. So Your my time hope is, is up. that when the hearing takes place, that thank you, Vice that, President Pence, that Judge Amy Coney Barrett will be respected, thank you, Vice President Pence, voted and confirmed thank to the you. Supreme Court of the United. Okay, you see kind of how it went. He kept getting cut off by the moderator. They they both went over time, but this was interesting. How Senator Kamala Harris responded. Cut four. First of all, Joe Biden and I are both people of faith, and it's insulting to suggest that we would knock anyone for their faith. And in fact, Joe, if elected, will be only the second uh, practicing Catholic uh, as president of the United States. Um, on the issue of this, of this nomination, Joe and I are very clear, as are the majority of the American people. We are 27 days before the decision about who will be the next president of the United States. And, you know, before when this conversation has come up, you know, it's been about election year or election time. We're literally in an election. Over four million people have voted. People are in the process of voting right now. And so Joe has been very clear, as the American people are, let the American people fill that seat in the White House, and then we'll fill that seat on the United States Supreme Court. And to your point, Susan, the the issues before us couldn't be more serious. There's the issue of choice, and I will always fight for a woman's right to make a decision about her own body. It should be her decision and not that of Donald Trump and and the vice president, Michael Pence. Okay, first of all, uh Vice President Pence was completely right going back to late 2018. Brian Busher was the district judge nominee from Nebraska, and Harris went on a diatribe against him and asked him if he was aware that the Knights of Columbus opposed a woman's right to choose when he joined the organization. She also asked whether he was aware that the Knights of Columbus opposed marriage equality when he joined the organization. But don't worry, she and Joe Biden are people of faith, deep, deep, deep people of faith. And Joe Biden is a Catholic. Well, you went after the Catholic. So that's a little bit of a dodge. There's more to come on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. Did you know that Bible-less believers around the world are praying to receive their very own copy of God's Word? Through the Ministry of Bible League International, you can send those Bibles today. Hear from Meng in Vietnam. If they don't have Bible, how they can find the truth? Because the Bible like a map to bring them to find the truth. And many people, they are really uh, hungry for the Word of God and then they need the Bible. Nepo is a pastor in Ghana praying for Bibles for former Muslim radicals now following Christ. Anna was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Albania, but her godly witness changed his heart and now he needs a Bible. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by terrorists in Mexico, and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with others. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word? $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800 Yes Word, 800 Yes Word, 800 Yes Word, or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. 
As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, as I said at the outset, Vice President Mike Pence really has a bright future as a debate moderator if this pol- politics thing doesn't turn out to be his long-term plan. <laughs> he really was good because... He asked the question that needed to be asked that the moderator did not ask of Kamala Harris. Here was that moment. Cut five. When you speak about the Supreme Court, though, I think the American people really deserve an answer, Senator Harris. Are you and Joe Biden going to pack the court if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed? I mean, there have been 29 vacancies on the Supreme Court during presidential election years from George Washington to Barack Obama. Presidents have nominated in all 29 cases But your party is actually openly advocating adding seats to the Supreme Court, which has had nine seats for 150 years, if you don't get your way. This is a classic case of if you can't win by the rules, you're going to change the rules. Now, you've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States, are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to Pack the Supreme Court to get your way. What a great question. Had the moderator asked it, it would have been even better. But this was how Senator Harris responded. Cut six. I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864. Well, I'd like you to answer the question. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I'm speaking. Okay. In 1864. One of the, I think, political heroes, certainly of the president, I I assume of you also, Mr. Vice President, is Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln was up for re-election. And it was 27 days before the election. And a seat became open on the United States Supreme Court. Abraham Lincoln's party was in charge not only of the White House, but the Senate. But Honest Abe said, it's not the right thing to do. The American people deserve to make the decision about who will be the next president of the United States. And then that person can select who will serve for a lifetime on the highest court of our land. And so Joe and I are very clear. The American people are voting right now. And it should be their decision about who will serve on this most important body for a lifetime. Well, that was a very nice memorized diatribe, but Pence didn't get fooled by it. This was his response. Cut seven. And, and Senator Harris. People, Susan, are voting right now. They'd like to know if you and Joe Biden are going to pack the Supreme Court if you don't get your way in this nomination. Let's talk about packing. You once Come again on. gave a non-answer. Joe Biden gave a non-answer. <laughs> I'm trying to answer you the now. American people deserve a straight answer. And 
And if you haven't figured it out yet, the straight answer is they are going to pack the Supreme Court if they somehow win this election. Excellent. There it is. Nice little package. Nice little package. She did not want to answer the question. Joe Biden does not want to answer the question because the answer to the question is yes. And they don't want to say no, because then if they turn around and do pack the Supreme Court, if they are elected to the White House, um, you know, they, they don't want to show their hand. So they're just going to keep their mouth shut. It's embarrassing. It really is. It's incredible. Really, when you look at the performance of the people on that ticket thus far, it's just nastiness. How many times did Kamala Harris say, I'm speaking, I'm speaking? She just came, she went to nasty immediately. She really did. She had a real attitude about her. I said, she's like the bitter, unfriendly grocery store clerk who just hates you on sight just because. And Mike Pence is the guy who lets you go ahead of him in the grocery line. It just struck me that that's really kind of the way it was. That's how it kind of felt when you were watching this. Yes, Mike Pence did sometimes go over time, but he was never rude about it. He was never insulting. He was overly polite, overly polite. There was a point at which he actually thanked Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and he was very gracious, and she had to say, well, thank you. And and I think that killed her. She didn't want that. She wanted to have a smackdown, and Mike Pence is just not a person with whom you can have a smackdown because he's so nice. So I thought that that was good. And boy, a contrast from the president himself, but I think those two working together do a a very interesting job when they get out there at the debates. This has been a very unusual year thus far. So let's move on in some of this audio. One of the things they also tackled during the course of the vice presidential debate was the issue of race and what's been going on with some of these cases, the Breonna Taylor case in particular, they were both asked about. Then Kamala Harris turns the subject to George Floyd and those allegedly peaceful protests. This is cut eight. And it just it it brings me to, you know, the eight minutes and 46 seconds that America witnessed. During which an American man was tortured and killed under the knee of an armed uniformed police officer and people around our country of every race, of every age, of every gender, perfect strangers to each other, marched shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, fighting for us to finally achieve that ideal of equal justice under law. And I was a part of those peaceful protests. And I believe strongly that, first of all, we are never going to condone violence, but we always must fight for the values that we hold dear, including the fight to achieve our ideals. Which are what? Peaceful protests, huh? So they think on the left, if they can just put forward women in particular on the Democratic side, Michelle Obama made this video and now you've got Kamala Harris coming out. Oh, it's peaceful. It's very peaceful. Oh, so peaceful. It's like the CNN reporter standing in Kenosha live with a burning building behind him (laughs) saying, oh, it's just mainly peaceful, except for that torched building that's burning to the ground behind me. Other than that, totally peaceful here in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I mean, if they say it enough, we're all going to be fooled. I'm sure there are people in the United States who are so clueless that they will be fooled by this. But anybody who's turned on the TV or gone on social media with any frequency at all in the last several months is going to listen to that and say, it's just come on, get serious, would you? 
So I thought that Vice President Pence had a pretty good response to this. Listen to Cut 9. And with regard to George Floyd, there's no excuse for what happened to George Floyd. And justice will be served. But there's also no excuse for the rioting and looting that followed. I mean, it, it really is astonishing. Flora Westbrook is with us here tonight in Salt Lake City. Just a few weeks ago, I stood at what used to be uh, her salon. was burned to the ground by rioters and looters. And, and Flora is still trying to put her life back together. And I must tell you, this, this, this presumption that you hear consistently uh, from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, that, uh, that America is systemically racist, mm. And that, as Joe Biden said, that he believes that law enforcement has an implicit bias against minorities is, is a great insult to the men and women who serve in law enforcement. And I want everyone to know who puts on the uniform of law enforcement every day that President Trump and I stand with you. And it is remarkable that, that when Senator Tim Scott tried to pass a police reform bill, brought together a group of Republicans and Democrats. Senator Harris, you got up and walked out of the room. And then you filibustered Senator Tim Scott's bill on the Senate floor that would have provided new accountability, new resources. But we don't have to choose between supporting law enforcement, proving public safety, and supporting our African-American neighbors you, and President. all of our minorities. Under President Trump's leadership, you, we will President always Pence. stand with law enforcement and we'll do what we've done from day Pence, one and thank you. Your time is the up. lives of African Americans. Thank you, Vice Record President unemployment, Pence. record Vice investments Pence, in education, and up. we'll fight for school choice for all of our members. Thank you, Vice President. Oops, they didn't want to let him continue to go on that track because it was making some very good sense, wasn't it? Talking about we don't have to be a nation that chooses between racial equality and law and order. Great point, Mr. Vice President. Perfect. And I think he hit the note there very, very well because he spoke in a very dignified way, in a very respectful way, in a very kind way, in a very concerned way. But he did not let her get away with the nonsense that she was spewing. By the way, what was she talking about? Every gender was out there during the peaceful protest. You mean all two of them? Two sexes? It's the nonsense. And every time that he was able to land a point that made her mad, you could see it all over her face, which is why people reacted the way they did. Now, something else I think needs to be mentioned, and that is the reaction of David Daleiden to some of what Kamala was pushing. She, by the way, credited The New York Times during the debate for great investigative journalism tied to the issue of publishing the president's tax records before 2018, which is kind of hilarious in a in a terrifying way that she would praise great investigative journalism because David Daleiden actually did great investigative journalism. And as you know, his home was raided because of Kamala Harris. He released those explosive pro-life videos. They were pro-life because they exposed what Planned Parenthood's, you know, abortion purveyors were actually doing with this baby body parts trafficking. 
And those undercover videos led to investigations in the House and the Senate. And then it led to the removal of Planned Parenthood from the Texas State Medicaid program and then the prosecution, et cetera, et cetera. And supposedly there's an FBI investigation going on. I, I don't know if it's still going on. But then Harris in 2016 launched an investigation on Daleiden, as the Federalist points out. And Javier Becerra, who's now the AG in California, saw it through. He was slapped with nine state felony charges in a federal jury in San Francisco delivered that $2.2 million verdict against him and Sandra Merritt, his fellow pro-lifer, for conspiring to commit fraud and violating state and federal recording laws. Well, as David tweeted out, I really felt how much Kamala Harris values great investigative journalism when her 11 armed California DOJ agents were traipsing through my apartment, seizing my undercover footage, but ignoring high-dollar invoices for fetal body parts. Boom, David Daleiden. People need to remember that. That's who Kamala Harris really is. A lot ahead. Stay with us here on Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, I am really excited to give you an update on our campaign for Heart for Lebanon. This is a great ministry that is hard at work in the refugee camps in Lebanon. The Lord is just working in an incredible way over there. And so many of these mostly Muslim refugees are coming to know Jesus Christ because of the work that Heart for Lebanon is doing in their lives during a time of great crisis. They are receiving the food and the supplies and the Christian education that their kids need as well. And this is all due to your generous support for Heart for Lebanon. We are trying to help 100 of these families this month. And thanks to you, we have now raised enough to help 82 families. We are almost to our goal, but we still do need your help. Your investment of $58 will help one family. $116 will help two families to survive during the next 60 days. Best of all, they'll also receive the hope of the gospel, which we know lasts forever. So if you'd like to help, here's the number you can call, 888-247-5499. That's 888 888- 247-5499 or there is a banner to click over at janetmeffer.com. We're going to take a few minutes now to hear more about this wonderful ministry from James Ward, who is executive director over at Heart for Lebanon. James, so good to talk to you again. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Janet. Thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to give an update. Oh, please do. I love hearing what's going on over there in Lebanon and the, the kind of ministry that you guys are having with these families. What is the latest with what you're doing over in these refugee camps? Well, as you can imagine, um, it has been a very challenging season uh, in, in Lebanon with the coronavirus, the explosion in Beirut, in this growing refugee crisis. And uh, this last season of ministry, while challenging, has been one of our most fruitful. Mm. Uh, God is doing just incredible things in the lives of families, children, and adults. And we're seeing many of these adults and children 
from a Muslim background coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and we just, we celebrate that. We celebrate the transformation that's taking place. Well, that is so exciting, and that's the best part, but these two things kind of go together because you have families, as you mentioned, coming as refugees, for example, from the Syrian civil war. Sometimes they're coming with absolutely nothing, or the fathers have died in the war. You have mothers with all these children. What is it like for these families when they paint a picture for us, if you would, because it is kind of difficult sometimes to explain this to Americans, what it's like when these families arrive in the camps. Can you give us a picture of what goes on? I sure can. You know, uh, and I'll tell you a story, a story of a young lady that I met during my last trip in February, a young girl by the name of Rahaf. Uh, Rahaf's home was bombed in an explosion. She actually saw her brother killed in the explosion. Her father is not in the picture. Um, her mother and her fled Syria and came to Lebanon when they, they of course, they could can't only bring with them what they could carry. They, they had nothing. Uh, they get to Lebanon, and for over a year, they just struggle to survive. No opportunity for education, difficult finding food, having to move from camp to camp, trying to find a place to settle. And, and that was the reality. That's the reality for thousands of these families. I'm excited to share that because of the generous support of folks like your listeners, uh, today Rahaf is in school. She's getting a quality education. She's learning about Jesus. Her mother is involved in Bible studies. They've both come to faith in Christ. Mm. And over the course of the last several months, while Lebanon has been shut down with the coronavirus, Rahaf was actually leading Bible studies for other children in her tenant camp. Uh. And so we these are the types of stories that we celebrate where children and families come from nothing, having endured inc- incredible hardship and find hope in Jesus Christ. That is so great. You know what really strikes me? We lament a lot of times here in the West how hardened a lot of people in this area of the world have become to the gospel. You know, we're kind of going in a post-Christian direction here. But here in the Middle East, it's so interesting because with the rise of ISIS, you had not only the Syrian civil war taking place at the same time, but a lot of attacks on Christians and on churches. And you listen to stories like this, and it's just a reminder, the Lord is not done with the Middle East or the people of the Middle East. His gospel is still alive and taking root in people's hearts when the gospel is preached. I mean, that should give us a flood of hope over here in the West. And and more Muslim background men and women are coming to faith in Jesus Christ now than in any time in history. And I think a part of that is there's been so much unrest and so much turmoil, and the political infrastructure, the political systems of the Middle East are failing these families. The religious infrastructure and the religious leaders are failing these families, and they're looking for hope. They're looking for help. And when hope comes in the form of followers of Jesus Christ looking to serve these families, show them love, demonstrate love in a tangible way, and build relationship with them. Uh, Families are responding. People are open to that because nothing else is bringing them any sense of hope or promise for a better future. Exactly, exactly. And you're there in the right place at the right time. And I want to remind people for an investment of $58, you can help one of these families. We are trying to help 100 families right now this month. We're almost there, but we still need a little bit more support and anything you can give right now would be welcome. Here's the number to call. It's 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499. 
$24.99. James Ward, who is executive director of Heart for Lebanon, joining us. You know, one of the things, James, that that comes to mind when when people ask me about Heart for Lebanon is, you know, what all do they do over there? I know there's a lot going on in Lebanon. And in a way, it's hard for me to say it in a short period of time because you guys do so much for these families. When they show up, how do you generally greet them? How do you establish a relationship with these families? I think people are interested in knowing how the ministry gets going once you meet these folks. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the greatest asset that we have as an organization is we have a large, uh, really incredible staff uh, in Lebanon, and these are all Middle Eastern men and women. Uh, they're all followers of Jesus. They're, they're local to that area. And so when someone comes in to one of these settlements, um, our staff team, they're in these settlements every day. They hear about it. Um, we get introduced to these families, and we go through a process with them. And, and honestly, Janet, early on, um, it's all about us getting to know them a bit and them getting to know us. But the reality is they have these desperate needs. And what we found is that if we can start serving them in a tangible way, uh, the very things that, that we're talking about today, uh, supplemental food, hygiene kits, helping them to get settled into uh, a tent that actually provides some sense of shelter for their family. If we can help them in these ways, we build trust with these families. We earn the opportunity to build a relationship with them. And ultimately, it's that relationship that leads to the ministry of the gospel and really being able to share with them the love and hope of Jesus Christ. That is so so we do, that's, that's how we do it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned education before, and this has been a way to really open doors too, where these kids are in these camps. A lot of people might not understand. They don't have a right to an education just because they show up right. in Lebanon, right? These kids are really in dire need of learning the basics and also getting a Christian worldview at the same time. It's, it's incredible. You stroll into these camps and you see children everywhere. And the reality is, as the civil war in Syria goes on into its 12th year, you know, if you see a kid under the age of 10 uh, running around, it's very likely that that child has never been in school before because they don't have access in Lebanon. And so Heart for Lebanon has opened up two education centers uh, that are schools, effectively, for kids. And so we have over 300 kids on any given day in the classroom learning how to, you know, the basic education, reading, math, science, but most importantly, they're learning about Jesus and they're learning solid biblical character traits that will help them to be effective leaders in a culture that so desperately needs it. Yeah. And, you know, if and when the time comes when they can return to Syria, what strikes me is that they will always carry, I'm sure, in their hearts everything that Christians did for them when they were in such a dire situation and hopefully be able to go back and be missionaries to their own culture one day. What a great extension of the gospel that would be. I, I agree. I, I truly believe that the families that we serve today and that we're discipling today, God will raise up and mobilize many of them back into some of the darkest areas of the Middle East. And I believe through these families, through this discipleship process, we can see radical transformation take place for Christ in that region of the world. Wonderful. Well, if you can help today, $58 will help one family. The number is 888-247-5499 to help the great ministry of Heart for Lebanon. James Ward with us. Always good to talk to you, James. God bless you guys and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Janet. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for being here. We'll return on Janet Meffer today.
Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561, 855 855- Five six five twenty five sixty one. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom, thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. I have to touch on this issue of Kim Davis just here for a few moments. Kim Davis, you might recall, is that Kentucky County clerk who is a Christian and said, no, when two men come in and want to get a marriage license, there's no way I'm signing this because this is morally wrong. And she wound up in jail. Remember that? And we began to say, wow. Is this America anymore? Well, she has been trying to get the Supreme Court to hear her case, and recently they decided they would not take up her case. But it was very interesting to see Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito this week say that Obergefell, the Obergefell decision that quote unquote redefined marriage. Uh, They both said it's found nowhere in the text of the Constitution and threatens the religious liberty of the many Americans who believe that marriage is a sacred institution between one man and one woman. Now, of course, I would say uh, perhaps they phrase things the way that they do because they're in a professional capacity. But it's not just a problem because religious liberty is negatively impacted by the Obergefell decision. It's a problem because it's morally wrong. Marriage is only one thing. It's a marriage between a union between a man and a woman. One man, one woman, for all time, creating a family. That's what marriage is. You can't redefine something by fiat. That's not how it worked. God defines marriage. That's it. You know, the old bumper sticker, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You don't even need the middle part of that. All you need is God said it. That settles it. So when you have a culture that's in rebellion against God and his word, then you get parsing. That's kind of how it goes. But what I found very interesting in all of this 
was the Federalists' take on this. And and this is why I think it's interesting. Generally speaking, I think the Federalist is a good website. They have a lot of good pieces, a lot of good writers. By and large, they're pretty conservative and they, you know, they do a very good job in many instances of ferreting out some important issues and doing some solid reporting. And I really appreciate them for that. However, I do have a problem with the fact that whenever they try to address LGBT issues, they let their LGBT writer handle it. I shouldn't even say LGBT. Chad Felix Green is a homosexual. All right. And I guess they're trying to show how forward thinking they are, that they're not bigots. Look, we even have our homosexual writer writing about the LGBT issue and taking a conservative position. But see, he really doesn't. He does kind of, but he really doesn't take a conservative position. And that's when it comes back to Christians having to ultimately separate, I think, at times from the quote unquote conservative mainstream secular movement and say, no, 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 no. See, here's what I would say. I am a Christian first and I am a political conservative second. I don't even know if I'd put it second, but I am a political conservative, clearly. But I'm also concerned about the direction that the GOP is going, because increasingly you're seeing conservative secular pundits out there having no problem with homosexuality, having no problem with so-called same-sex marriage. And this is a perfect case in point. This is the article. Amy Coney Barrett is not a threat to Obergefell. The Constitution is. That's the headline on the piece. Is the nomination and potential confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett an existential threat to gay rights in America, he asks. The fear campaign set off by LGBT media after comments from Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito regarding the consequences of the Obergefell decision has convinced many this is the case. The Supreme Court, as he reiterates, decided not to hear the case of Kim Davis. And Thomas wrote what I just read to you. And Thomas also said it would be one thing if recognition for same-sex marriage had been debated and adopted through the democratic process with the people deciding not to provide statutory protections for religious liberty under state law. But it is quite another when the court forces that choice upon society through its creation of atextual constitutional rights and its ungenerous interpretation of the free exercise clause, leaving those with religious objections in the lurch. Let me pause for a moment and say this. Again, he may be speaking clearly out of his professional capacity, so he may not phrase things the way he might in private life. I have no idea. But here's the point, whether or not it's in the Constitution, which it's not, and whether or not it was an ungenerous interpretation of the free exercise clause, which it's not, Here's the point. You can't redefine marriage, and this is just morally wrong. It was morally wrong. Yes, I agree with his point about how it was done being a big, huge problem. You had some 32 states voting to protect marriage in their state constitutions, and with one fell swoop of five progressives, boom, sorry, your state constitutions mean nothing. And what was so outrageous about it is marriage is left to the states. Marriage is not talked about in the U.S. Constitution precisely because it is left to the states per the Tenth Amendment. Anything that is not specifically outlined as being something that is the purview of the federal government, it's left to the states. Yes, we know this from our basic civic civics class of high school. At any rate, he goes on to say all these gay sites were upsetting uh, themselves over this and saying the alarming statements, this is from the Human Rights Campaign, the alarming statements from Thomas and Alito regarding marriage equality are a clear sign that LGBTQ rights still hang in the balance with the Supreme Court. Love wins, blah, blah, blah. 
Now, listen to what this homosexual writer over at The Federalist says. The hysteria, however, appears to have missed the point. The justices who dissented in Obergefell v. Hodges on these same grounds were commenting on the legal consequences such a broad ruling has on issues larger than same-sex marriage. Neither justice commented on the nature of same-sex marriage or its validity. And neither implied it was the cause of religious liberty concerns. Neither came close to even hinting at overturning marriage equality. Do you see what's going on here? He's trying to just make you feel better. And he's trying to tell the gay groups, don't worry about it. Obergefell's going nowhere. You guys are all hysterical for nothing. These conservatives on the Supreme Court have no interest in overturning Obergefell. If that's the case, we're in a heap more trouble than we even imagined. And I'm not even saying that I agree with him on the point that Thomas and Alito don't want to overturn Obergefell. What I'm concerned about is when we have supposedly conservative media trying to assuage the fears of gay rights groups that your gay rights groups aren't going, your, your gay rights are not going anywhere. Amy Coney Barrett gets on the court. Don't worry about it. It's not going anywhere. That, that just puts you in a stupor of horror in a way, doesn't it? Is that what it is now? They're scared to death of Roe v. Wade, but they have absolutely no fear of Obergefell being overturned. This is extremely serious here. He even says the hysteria is over nothing. Obergefell did not make same-sex marriage a constitutional right. It simply stated that states could not restrict marriage based on sex. Well, that in and of itself is unconstitutional, Chad. It's unconstitutional because of the 10th Amendment gives the principle of federalism I mean, it just lays it out there. The states get to decide this. The, 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 the Supreme Court cannot use the Constitution as a battering ram to undo the Constitution when it comes to states' rights and states' power. But nobody wants to talk about it. You know why? Because we have been so propagandized by this movement. We are absolutely under its spell, but for a few of us. And I think it comes out when you look at these polls. He even mentions some of these polls. 67% of Americans support same-sex marriage. And that Barna research that I quoted on yesterday's show, what was it, 34% of so-called evangelicals don't have a problem with it either. When you have a third of those who are supposed to be Bible-believing Christians caving on this issue, you know we are in a heap of trouble, as I said before. And now add to the problem what we're seeing in the Biden campaign, because this is going to become more and more and more of an issue. They have a piece over here at PJ Media. Biden threatens religious freedom, suggests Christians with certain traditional views are the dregs of society. Well, right, because he was speaking at a gay rights gathering. What was it? The human rights campaign thing. And I've played this audio on the show before, but I guess his staffer came out. Uh, The most recent evidence of this insidious threat, they say, came last week when a Biden staffer suggested that traditional religious beliefs that homosexual acts are sinful and that marriages between a man and a woman should be so taboo as to disqualify someone from serving on the Supreme Court. That's where it's headed, folks. It's a Biden staffer saying that. That's where it's headed. Do you understand as a Christian where this issue likely will place you in the next decade. You will be on the outskirts. You might be without a job. You might be without a business. You might be, who knows, in jail? I have no idea. Anything seems possible at this point with these people. They're nuts. 
They're nuts and they're wicked. And I'm not trying to say that any of these people are beyond the grace of God or that the Lord can't move in the hearts of these people. I pray that he does. And that like Saul of Tarsus, who once persecuted the church, the Lord will turn their hearts toward himself, that they would fall on their knees in repentance and place their faith in Jesus Christ and be born again by the spirit of God. That's what I pray for them. But we need to get very serious here as Christians to understand what is ahead and how few people are discussing it. We can't move an inch. Why can't we move an inch on this issue? Because God doesn't. And we belong to him. We're his ambassadors. We are here on the earth, but we represent a better kingdom, the kingdom of God. We can't move. Let the world do what it will, but we can't move. And we have to continue to be his ambassadors in a dark, dark time, praying for those who think we're taboos simply for upholding the Bible. We got to leave it there. We thank you for being with us. We'll see you next time right here on Janet Meffer Today. 